Life is fraught with challenges, with difficulties. Yes, there are times that life is filled with celebration, joy, happiness, beautiful events and experiences. But there's another part of life, and that is the pain and suffering, the distress, the anxieties. Everybody knows it in their own personal lives. So there's the age-old question, how can a good God allow bad things to happen? There are those who claim because of that precise reason that perhaps there is no God. Because you see, you don't always see justice. But does that thing make, does that make it easier? Because the fact is, each of us, no matter who you are, feels a pang, terrible pain when you see pain, when you experience pain. If there's no life of justice, if there's no life of goodness, why are we hurt? But for those that absolutely believe in God, the question looms large. Yes, indeed, how can a good God allow for bad things to happen? The question of theodicy, reconciling the goodness and the just God with bad things. Please join me in this very important discussion. How can a good God allow bad things to happen? Hi, this is Simon Jacobson. We'll be speaking about how can a good God allow for bad things to happen. This program is dedicated by Dina Rachel Fisher in loving memory of her parents, John and Nadia Fisher, on the 3rd of Thomas, July 9th, and 16th Thomas, July 19th. May their souls have an aliyah. May their neshamas have an aliyah. The age-old question, how can a good God allow for bad things to happen. When things are going well in life, and everyone should be blessed only with good things and celebrations and happiness and joy, we usually don't ask these questions. Yeah, because when you, you take it for granted in a way, we're comfortable, a blessing in life, a child is born, a child is married, we get married, we have other special occasions, we celebrate with each other, with friends, with strangers. There are many beautiful things in life. But then when that dark cloud strikes, there's a loss, a tragedy, a trauma, anxieties, internal, external. Sometimes something perpetrated against us, sometimes due to something that they'll call natural. Then these big questions pop up. What do you do? Pop up is also sort of a dismissive statement. I wouldn't even use that word. I would use, they begin to plague us. Because the God that we so trust, the God that created us all, the goodness of God, dictates that God should be good to us. And everyone asks that question. Why is a good God allowing this to happen to me? Some people blame God. And it's not surprising, because that's what God is about, the creator. 
who else to turn to? And indeed you find Moses, none other than the great Moses, when the Jewish people were suffering in Egypt, he says to God, why are you doing bad to these people? He doesn't even say why you're allowing bad to happen. Why are you doing bad? He blames God. And he's criticized for it, but he still states it and it's documented. Because that's a natural inclination. Just like when you, your parents who are meant to nurture you and something bad happens, you turn to them and say, what, why? So let's first begin by acknowledging that this question is a completely legitimate one. And yet, the answer is far more complicated than the question. Because if God means anything, it means that God put us on this earth, not the other way around. So we are right to ask questions. But can we really expect to understand the Creator? In the words of God to Job, the classic sufferer, when Job asked that question, why is there pain and suffering in this world? You're a good God. And one of the responses God gives him, he says, were you there when I created heaven and earth that you asked me this question? And I'll explain. Were you there? You asked me why there's death. Do you ask me why there's life? Do you ask me why there's pain? Do you ask me why there's joy? Do you ask me why there's the end of life? What about the beginning of life? In other words, it's all bound together. The questions we ask are only when we're not comfortable, when we're not happy. But for some reason, we take for granted when things are good, which itself is a testimony to a good God. Why? Why don't we just assume that things will be bad? God forbid. Because there's something inherent within us, that beating within us, that goodness is ultimately going to prevail. Yes, there are people who've been hurt deeply, and therefore they've lowered their expectations to the point they're always expecting the worst. But that's not how we're born. Look at children, there's a certain natural exuberance, a natural joy, optimism. So what God is saying to Job is essentially, this is part of the mysteries of life itself. If you were never born, you would never die. If you didn't have life, you wouldn't have pain. The question, of course, is can there be a life without pain? But that already connects to why is there life in the first place? And that's not the question we always ask. Point number two. The classic response you find in the Bible and throughout history of great men and women who dealt with this question, and everybody has dealt with it. Because firstly, nobody is immune from pain and suffering and loss. The question is the extent. There are obviously tragedies that are far, far beyond the pale. You're talking about innocent children being massacred. So a child born for no reason of their, of uh, no cause born in a way that is going to be challenging to the child and to the family. So there are big questions that are asked when we see these things. So the classic answer you see is silence. When Aaron's children died prematurely, they were great people. It says Aaron was silent. When the Romans were barbarically killing the leaders, the ten martyrs, and the angels and Moses turned to God and said, is this Torah and is this its reward? Your greatest people, you're allowing them to be massacred in this fashion? 
And God said, be silent. Why? Because silence is not a, an escape. Silence is an answer. It's the ultimate answer. It's saying that no matter what reason you give, the most brilliant mind cannot speak to a bleeding heart. It's actually acknowledging, validating the very unfathomable experience of pain and suffering. So when someone is suffering, now you don't want, they're not looking for explanations and excuses. People may ask why, but what are you going to say? You're going to give an excuse? You're going to explain why the Holocaust happened? You're going to explain to a mother why a child was killed in a car accident? God forbid. What they need is empathy to hold the person's hand. I'm with you. Like one great rabbi said to a person who suffered a tragedy, I don't have answers for you, but I can cry with you. Don't underestimate the power of that. Because it's actually acknowledging and recognizing that we're dealing with an abyss that no human being can fathom, that none of us can wrap our head around. And it's not explanations that we're looking for. We're looking for strength. That's the ultimate answer, not silence, but strength. Not answers, but strength. What does strength mean? It means we don't ask why. We ask, what are we going to do about it? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to rebuild? How am I going to justify? Not justify as a justification, but justify the pain by transforming it into something positive. That, my friends, is the ultimate answer. So, I am not here to explain God, to explain why God allows for negative things to happen. We can understand the dynamics of how God put into a system that things can happen. But why? Each case you can say that God could have done it in a different way. But we'll talk about that afterwards. The first step we have to acknowledge is that pain is not meant to be justified. It's not meant to be explained away. It's meant to be absorbed. The only way out is through. It's meant to figure out how to build greater strengths. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're seeking. So in that context, think about it. When a person is in that, those emotional throes of pain, the tentacles, they're not looking for answers. And answers won't help. The heart will help. The empathy will help. Then there's another part. If you want to sit down and talk about it philosophically, once the emotions are not that intense, we can do that. And I'll explain that a little afterwards. But not now, let's first acknowledge and allow ourselves to be silent in the pain. And silence is more powerful than sound. Silence is more powerful than answers. And indeed... You'll see people who have grown and built lives even after great tragedy. You'll see that they have built something that could never have been built without the pain of grief. Because at the end of the day, negative things and grief and sadness are all energy. It's just inverted energy, like the black hole. A black hole that gravitational pull is so intense, it doesn't allow light to escape. That's what pain is like. However, there's tremendous energy there. So how do you tap into it? By transforming it into something. I remember when my father passed away. It was very traumatic. Deep grief. Most traumatic event in my life. And I've been blessed. I acknowledge that and I thank God with gratitude. I've been blessed. I've seen people who have suffered in ways I, I can't even imagine. 
But still, at the same time, the grief I experienced, ultimately for me, the catharsis, the healing, was when I channeled. My father was a journalist. He had started a newspaper. He was a publisher, an editor of the Algemeiner. And as an oldest son, I continued it, completely as a mitzvah. I did it simply as a good deed. I had plenty of work to be done, but, and I felt my father working through me. And in some ways, the, the vacuum, the loss, was transformed into very powerful ways. Of course, I would love to be sitting with my father and embracing him and, and being able to have a conversation and everything that comes with a relationship. But to say that was just pure grief, a dead end, absolutely not. The grief was channeled. That's what we do. We channel. By recognizing, going back to the words to Job, that God said to Job, by recognizing that there's a deeper story to life. Would I prefer not to have life? Would you prefer not to have life so in order to avoid pain? Now, some would say perhaps. Some are in that type of situation where things are so terrible, and I feel terrible for a person like that. I feel deep empathy. But at the end of the day, the beauties of life and the purpose of life is God making us a partner with God to build a better world. Ultimately, that is the ultimate purpose. And giving human beings free will and giving people the ability to choose, to choose to do good or to choose to hurt someone is part of the process. The goal is not to hurt. The goal is to choose. But to choose requires options. But you could say, okay, fine, that's human beings hurting another. What about God allowing tragedy to happen? So this brings us back to the central theme that the Arizal, whose Yartzai is actually the next few days, on the fifth of, of the Hebrew month of Av, explains the doctrine, the secret of the Tzimtzum, that in order to create existence and independent consciousness like ourselves, God concealed the divine presence. Because as long as the divine presence is there, that's called the divine good, there's no room for independence. Think of a, a parent watching a child take its, its first steps. The child will inevitably fall unless the parent holds the child, and the parent won't hold the child, because you want the child to learn to walk on its own. It's not an act of compassion to hold your child. You're there, you show your child, I'm here for you. But the parent will restrain itself, restrain himself or herself, father or mother, to allow the child to take those steps. You need to create that independent space a small example. Same thing, a teacher needs to suspend, restrain him or herself to allow the independent student to understand the idea, to be an entity on their own. It's the key to life. Had God just take, taken over and we're just puppets and robots of fulfilling God's goodness, there'd be no purpose to existence. So the very purpose of existence allows for independence. Independence allows room for there to be hurt classic example for this is a parent hides from a child in order to elicit the ingenuity of the child to find the parent. But the parent has hidden himself or herself so well that the child gives up. Looks and looks. Up. The, the concealment was not in order to conceal. The concealment was in order to elicit the intelligence of the child to find the parent. Same idea. So essentially all negative things in life are essentially a result of a misunderstood concealment. When we don't understand why God is concealed and we go off on our own and existence itself can do things that are inconsistent 
and not aligned with the divine goodness, and that in essence is every tragedy and every loss and every pain and every suffering, that's where it's rooted. But again, this is not coming as an explanation to explain to someone that's why it happened to you. It's explaining the dynamics how it's possible and why it's possible. It's possible in order to allow for independent existence. So just as your child goes off to school, things could happen that are not positive. Whereas if you sheltered your child and kept the child home, it may not happen, but then the child will never become independent. The child will never spread its wings. So part and parcel of a life of purpose and a life of choice is that there's the ability for something negative to happen. But all is not lost because the purpose of the concealment is to reveal. That's why within that grief, within that sadness, within that loss lies tremendous amount of energy. So when we see through the concealment, we understand the concealment and we see its purpose, we can tap into it. And that's why you see everyone, everyone who's come to any real level of growth will always tell you it was the setbacks that propelled the growth. Now think of someone who's very thirsty. The thirst builds up and you therefore builds up a passion and a deep thirst for, for water. Someone who says it and is not thirsty doesn't have that passion. So it actually is the thirst that creates the passion, that creates the motivation, that creates the impetus to go find the drink. A dam. You build a dam. The water is rushing. But the water is rushing at a certain pace. When you build a dam, the more the resistance, the more the pressure of the water builds up, builds up to the point that it's a tremendous amount of pressure. So what do you see from all of this? That concealment actually has even more power than revelation. That's how we have to look at it. So again, this is not a justification. It's not an explanation. It's not blaming anyone. It's not pointing fingers. It's understanding the dynamics of it and understanding that we need to be wise. We need to be wise and not get consumed just with my pain. Yes, there's a time to cry and there's a time to grieve and there's a time to let, just let it seep through you and not explain things. But ultimately the goal is to tap into it and redeem it, yes, redeem it, channel and harness that energy into positive, tremendous growth. And indeed, this is what you see. One of the reasons I'm speaking about this topic now, because we're now in the beginning of the nine days. These are the, this is the, the saddest period of the Jewish calendar, when the temple, the, both temples were destroyed. But the nine days really signify a psychological, emotional state, a dissonance, a concealment. So it's sadness on the surface, and we have to acknowledge that. Just like you acknowledge when there's a death in a family of a loved one, we don't ignore it. We don't say, oh, there's deep good in it and let's just move on. You need to acknowledge it. But then you need to tap into it and turn it to something far greater. And this has been the formula for success for anyone who's grown through challenges. I speak about the Jewish people because the Jewish people collectively are probably the most suffering of all peoples, have suffered at their hands, of literally every host country that they lived in, and yet have come out stronger than ever, and everybody's surprised to know how. 
And the answer lies in that verse in Exodus that says, as they were oppressed, they thrived and they blossomed and flourished in direct proportion. That's what pressure can do. So we don't want pressure. We're not asking for it. We pray to God, please bless us that we should only have beautiful things in life and reveal good. And this is a blessing I say to each one of you and to all of us. But when it does come, don't misunderstand it. Don't let it throw you to the point where you give up. Understand there's a mystery going on here. The mystery of life itself. The silence acknowledges the awe of the mystery. Yes, it's a mystique, it's a mystery. And then number two, realize that in that mystery lies tremendous power. Figure out how to tap into it, how to harness it, how to direct and channel it toward positive growth. Never ask why. Ask how. What will I do about it? Not why, but what? We are entitled to ask why, but realize that the answer is going to be we don't know. The answer is going to be silence. But what can we do about it? There, there's a lot to say. And that's build. Take the energy and turn it into something beautiful. When we honor someone that we love, we honor a yard site, the anniversary of someone's passing. When we build something in the name of a legacy of someone who has um, who's lost, then we realize we haven't lost them. We've, the, we've taken their soul, we've taken their legacy, we've taken their life, and perpetuated. We become the arms and legs by perpetuating their values and their standards and that which they contributed to this world. So there are many, many ways of how to channel negative energy and turn it into positive energy. That is the mission of our lives. And again, I want to conclude. We should only be blessed with beautiful things in life in a revealed way. But should there be that setback, should there be that moment, realize the two things. One, it's a mystery that you will probably not find an answer to. And two, the story's not over. The next step is how do we tap into that and turn it into tremendous growth, tremendous celebration. And in retrospect, when we look back, we can see, ah, I may not have understood it at the time, but I see what grew out of it, what came out of it. And it's also the healthy attitude, because the fact is loss and pain can debilitate and demoralize us, and that's probably even worse than the pain itself, but that's what we have to fight. You have to make sure to know that the goodness in your heart and soul and the power and fortitude and resilience you have is greater than all this, the darkness. Because at the end of the day, the symptom, the concealment, it's very powerful, but it's coming from a place that concealed itself. And that's what's more powerful than the concealment itself. And that's what we need to uncover and unleash. May we be blessed only with good things, and may any negative thing be transformed into celebrations and holidays. Thank you so much. This has been Simon Jacobson. Meaningful Life Center, MeaningfulLife.com is our website. Please subscribe to our growing YouTube channel, please share. Love to hear your thoughts, comments, feedback. Be blessed, and may we discover the good in everything. Thank you. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.